All right. So we are on live. Thank you guys for joining me. No problem. And it's um, Monday, the 27th of March, Solid Ground live stream. And it's the three musketeers today. <laughs> Jody's going to miss at least a few of the next live streams. So it'll be the three of us for a bit. And maybe, maybe a guest or two. We have some people in mind. So that'll be nice. And David, you want to start us off with the intro? Certainly. So Solid Ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice, CSJ, aka woke, and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, children's school, or community. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts, and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies and answer the question, where do we go from here? You can join one of our groups for only $5 per month. To find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note that Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice and nothing we do should be construed as such. Awesome, thanks. I don't know what you guys are doing whilst I've got that Word document up. You could be, you could be doing all <laughs> Well, the, you know, I, I know at least the first time when you said pounds instead of dollars, I, I like sort of chuckled. And then I, I caught Jennifer's face at that same moment and I saw her make that same <laughs> response. And so every ever since then, every time you get to the money part, I'm like, yeah. there's like this child in me that's kind of giggling. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. Yeah. Okay. Just in general, David, when you read it, there's something about the way you read it that's really cute. <laughs> I think I get my phone voice out, you know, like I'm answering. Hello, this is David Simpson speaking. Solid ground peer support. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's, that's funny. That's kind of reminds me of like the mom phone voice, you know, when your mom is yelling, she's yelling at the kids and then the phone yeah. rings and she suddenly has the very sweet voice. <laughs> you know? I don't know if that happened to y'all. That yeah, was a thing in my house. I think it was also when my mom knew the neighbors were listening or something like that out in the garden. Get back <laughs> over here. Oh, yeah, it's lovely out here today, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the neighbors are watching us. Mm -hmm, yeah. The, <laughs> the I'm being observed voice. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. So it was a, a really good conversation that we had the other day, David. Thank you for joining me for that. Thank you for hosting. Really yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Super fun. And um, I thought we started, we sort of like veered into some conversation right at the end, which was off topic and felt like it merited a lot more exploration. And, and, and it's something that's been a buzz for a while. I mean, I think maybe for a really long while, but lately I keep hearing so much about there's this, there's this masculine ten, feminine tension that's going on in these cultural conversations. And I don't think we could do it justice in one live stream or even 10, but it mm. seems like it merits some exploration, that topic. And, mm -hmm. and then there was the events from just this past weekend in New Zealand where Kelly J. Keene showed up to do a Let Women Speak rally and was mobbed and harassed and attacked by counter protesters or protesters of the of the rally and it's just been uh, I've been on on Twitter I'm kind of still new to Twitter and I don't love it really 
but it's interesting. I don't know what I think about it. It's, there's a lot of, uh, um, it's like everything in sound bites. So it's, people can't really flesh out full ideas and you mm. end up kind of getting the worst of things, I think, because you get these simple little tidbits of ideas, but the whole, like the, and I, I just want to use this old phrase from what was it like the eighties, the battle of the sexes. It feels like we're reliving that right now. And I don't know, what, what do you, what do you guys think about all this and what are your initial thoughts? John, do you want to go first? Huh? Do you want to go first? <laughs> I was, you know, I was really upset about um, Kelly getting attacked, you know, for a number of different reasons. Number one, I, I really believe strongly in free speech. And I think that it's part of what makes um, the West great is that people come out and they share their opinions in the public square and people can share counter opinions and then we can work together to discover the best ideas. And for her to be silenced in and of itself is really discouraging to me. But it is also, um, when I saw some of the footage from it, the level of rage and violence was really surprising to me. I saw these guys, um, not trans guys, um, just kind of bulky looking, strong, young, healthy guys screaming mm -hmm. in a state of rage and grabbing these metal gates and moving them so that they could surge forward onto the stage. And, um, I just, I find that, I find that astonishing. I mean, guys are attacking women now. Since when in our society, is that okay? Mm -hmm. It's really shocking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you even see sort of clips of, um, there was a, there was a woman who was attacked, I think in, in America by some Antifa members. And funnily enough, yeah, all of the Antifa members that were in the footage were, were men. And you just sort of thought, you've, you've completely, um, lost your mind if you think that that's suddenly acceptable but you've obviously got something there's some sort of I don't know community group sanctioned idea that we've suddenly forgotten about those those things that we knew about till about five minutes ago <laughs> those common common ideas about what you should how you should act how you shouldn't act have been completely uh, dispensed with in the name of something greater or maybe even it's just an opportunity for people to channel their rage for, for apparently in a way that's completely um unwieldy and not <laughs> there's nothing holding it back almost that's what it feels like it's like we've we've got i've got an opportunity here to to do something that um i will have no re repercussions for apparently that's what it feels like and you think well if you give people that opportunity then the, the dark parts of them will come out <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really, that's a good point you're making about how something has shifted. There's been a change, like there was a, there was a cultural expectation and limitation on some behavior that seems to have gone right out the window. Mm. And it's like the rules are all, you know, what, up in the air, up, uh, up for re rediscussion now. Um, and I, and it's, and even just saying that it's like, what were the rules, you know? Mm -hmm. What was that? I, I have, and I, I just, I don't even know where to jump into this topic because it's so big, but mm. you know, the, the idea that women have 
fear of men because of men's bad behavior, because of men's dangerous potential, right? There's this, this yeah. is, it's age old. It's as old as, as human interaction that men have a greater capacity for violence and for, um, uh, you know, taking what they want and using women, uh, using women's bodies, abusing, blah, blah, blah. So this is true, right? This is, and this is the roots of some of the feminist movement is women wanting to stand up for themselves. But there's also this, there's also this way that I think healthy masculine behaviors have been, have been suppressed for a long time. And we see men mm. voicing this hatred and resentment towards women and feeling um, like they've been sidelined from, from cultural engagement because ordinary expressions of masculinity are being demonized mm -hmm. and rejected. And so it's, I, and, and again, I'm like just diving in there because I don't even know where to begin. It's such a, it's such a massive topic, but um, I, it is, it does seem clear to me that we've repressed boys and men mm. and you, okay. So there, I'm just diving in. <laughs> what do you guys think about this? Like, I feel like I'm a little out of my depth because I'm not sure how to articulate these things. There are a bunch of thoughts yeah. that are stewing around and I, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. And even, even to say it feels like we've repressed men feels like a big thing, but then you kind of think, could we have, could we have done that? Could we have moved forward in a certain way in society and on the way actually, yeah, prevented men from expressing certain things in a way. Well, I mean, I think about this and I think um, there was a comedian called Robert Webb in this country who did a book about, um, I think it was something like a boy's story or something like that. And his conclusion at the end of it, he talked about his, his, his family history growing up and his relationship with his father and how that was troublesome in lots of ways, but he had to learn how to be a boy by becoming a father. Sorry, learn how to be a man by then becoming a father because he didn't feel like he had a blueprint up to that point. And then he sort of talked about how, um, in a way, all the things that we celebrate for traditional masculinity, like strength or, um, I don't know, like uh, of, of maybe having kind of a level of decisiveness or clear individualism or something like that. He says all of those things can be can be adopted by a woman as well. So there's there's actually no room for that um, masculine. And he, he sort of bizarrely seemed to conclude that therefore... There wasn't really much to celebrate for, for masculinity we should just celebrate it for both sexes and i thought but that's so it's just how much is that what society has assumed for, for for a few years now it's just that um we won't point out the differences between sexes because ultimately that feels like we're just um playing down the capacity of women to do the same things and it's like we can celebrate women's ability to do those things to be those things to have those attributes personality characteristics and all those sorts of things but also not denigrate the idea that on the whole men also have a little bit more and there's a there's an energy or a culture that's 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 there that's being that's sort of being ignored um i don't know if that makes sense it makes perfect sense and it's it's really interesting it's kind of like i had this thought like how when we're talking about the racial discussion people will point out that you can say that you have black pride but you can't say that you have white pride right so like there's that distinction you know where the untouchable thing is because you know that if you reverse it, it it's going to sound 
it's yeah. going to sound really wrong to the ear. You're going to go, oh, no, don't say that. Well, it's mm. kind of the same with the feminine and the masculine, because you can yeah, say girl definitely. power, but you can't say boy. Who says yeah. boy power, you know, and you can write girl power all over T-shirts and and be, you know, proud of being a girl. But you can't do that really the other way. And as I, I've got four kids, I have two daughters and two sons. So I raised my two daughters. They're in their 20s now. And mm -hmm. I'm raising two sons. They're nine and 11 right now. And I have, I didn't notice until I was a mother of boys. So right. how some of these things play out. And I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but they're not, they're, they're more anecdotal and more observational. It's not like I have a bunch of statistics at my fingers for this, but I do have the sense that there are like, there are some impulses, for instance, that I've noticed observing young boys play there's a destructive impulse. And I've learned to appreciate that because it wasn't something that like with, with watching girls play, you see a lot of the creative impulse hmm. with boys. I see the creative and also the destructive, like there's a pleasure in the, in the destruction as well as in the creation of things. And so again, that's super layman's it's not meant to be, you know, this culture wide observation, but I, I, I do see there's something beautiful in that because without, without the ability to, to destroy, how could you ever make new again? How could you ever recreate? Mm. That's so true. I, there's, um, there's, a modern, there's a podcast called Modern Wisdom I listen to sometimes. And um, the guy who hosts it, Chris Williamson, is a big fan, I think, of like evolutionary theory and evolutionary psychology. And... Um, I think one of his guests was talking about how um, women in are able to know where things are in, in a space that's sort of smaller, um, whereas men are better at maybe plotting out a kind of map of a, a terrain. And he says that goes back to when we were in small tribes, like the women would know where everything was detailed really specifically in their, their, their locale, where the huts were, where the river was and that sort of stuff. Whereas men's idea of like landscape and geography which were a lot more sparse but it would have details like over the mountains over there are the good deer or something like that and that obviously was reflected in what we did for god knows how many years of of evolution but it got me thinking i don't know what you guys think about this but like i wondered if even the even the ideologies we see inspired by marxism are kind of about this redistribution or or how resources are distributed and i remember thinking to myself Maybe that's quite a feminine thing. Like if if this hunt, um, the the spoils of the hunt come back, it's maybe up to the village who gets what, who gets what distributed to them, and maybe it's the fairness and equality thing that's being thought about in the in those in the, who are in the tribe who are in the village. Whereas the men are more interested in ongoing competition to kind of we got this many deer last week so maybe we're going to go get some more maybe that's an inherently masculine thing to kind of keep going well we could do better we can do more because ultimately the maybe the women in the tribe are not interested in more they're just interested in whatever comes back to them because they weren't as involved in the hunt so yeah i don't know i got i got got on a trail of thought with that <laughs> so more like the management of resources is the more yeah, exactly. as the as the representation of the feminine yeah okay yeah. That's interesting. You know, I think one of the things that makes this whole, like this whole conversation and so many of the conversations we're having on a cultural level right now, really fraught is that there's this, this desperate desire to sort of 
turn things into labels and distinct categories when the reality is that it's all very messy and it's all very blended and overlapped. And so, yeah. as you were saying, you know, when you're talking about um, the writer or the, the gentleman you were referencing earlier, saying all oh, women can evident, you know, women can have all these same traits. Well, it's true. Mm -hmm. Like some, we have extremes on both. We have people that fit all levels of the character distribution. Mm -hmm. So nothing is so distinct and tidy, but it does make sense to sort of talk about broad descriptors as well, you know? Yeah. There's so much, there's so much, there's so much possibility in just talking about broad descriptors or like generalizations, because hopefully you can have good faith that the people who are talking about it aren't making some sort of really dogmatic claims either way. But often happens in modern conversations is everyone goes a few steps down the lane and goes are you saying are you saying this are you saying women can't do that it's like no no we're not saying that at all um yeah mm -hmm. it stops people even from starting that conversation doesn't it sometimes yeah absolutely i think people are too afraid of of you know having to make all those disclaimers and not having made the disclaimers thoroughly enough so they get the backlash <laughs> yeah. but yeah and the the management of resources, the way that you're describing that, it almost sounds like, well, and, and when I think about a lot of the things we're seeing right now in the DEI stuff and the, the way that people's behavior is being policed, it's this, I think we could almost think about that as the, the sort of toxic feminine, even like the, what the devouring mother archetype, mm. right? The you will do this and I'm managing your every move and you shall not have freedom because I am the one who's making decisions for you kind of. And, and I think that there's this, there's been so much over-representation of that kind of the, the dual feminine representations that I think we see so much of are that, and then the young, um, young and, and fertile and sexy Right, and there's not a whole lot of room for other feminine representations right now in our in our culture. We that is it was it the image that you were talking about, Jennifer, the older woman who was being hit in the face, or was that you, David, mentioning? Yeah, is that I think, the one I you were talking about? That it was the Antifa clip, I think. There was a lady with a mm -hmm. yeah with a handbag, and I think a handbag was being stolen off her at the same time or something. It was oh, horrific. okay, yeah. I I don't know if it's the same one. I I thought it was from. Uh, New Zealand, but it might have been that same, it might have been in the US, but the woman, an older gray-haired woman with short hair, little old lady, being hit multiple times in the face by a young man. Mm. And uh it's that I think was it sort of exemplified for me like this disrespect for elderly women, for one thing, which has been a trope for a long time. We've seen, you know, as soon as you've outlived your reproductive usefulness you're less interesting to the culture at large. And yes, you were right, Leslie, in saying, I think maybe even on the, on the conversation we had about the, the lack of lack of space for a feminine a matriarch, the, the, the sort of the wise sort of the wise position within the, the community that people turn to for all sorts of things, um, care and wisdom and, you know, family connection and things like that there doesn't seem to be space for that is that what is that how you describe a matriarch i don't know don't put words in your mouth well i think so i think so it's a you know a, a person who's kind of a reservoir for tradition and for um 
timelines and and caring and having a network of of nurturing you know mm. and and a, also a, a reservoir for cultural information and relevant um, go-tos so but there's also I think a lack of respect for the even the young mother mm. we have in feminism we've pushed women out of that space and told women that they are um they're somehow abdicating abdicating some greater responsibility if they're choosing to stay in the home and raise families that what they really should be doing is going out into the workforce and putting their kids in daycare and there's a a lack of respect for that that nurturing mother's role and now and we you know we have this whole trad wife movement where where that's this the new edgy i guess to go Mm -hmm. that way but it's also something that's condemned by certain um certain swaths of the population still like that's that is a a not realizing your potential if you choose to go there so you can be young and sexy and fertile but if you dare to you know evolve to the next level where you're actually raising those children and taking it anyway jennifer what do you what do you think i feel like i'm kind of rambling on um it actually really makes me mad because i i feel like the thing that there's good things feminism has done for us, but there's also some really bad things. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the worst, most harmful things that's really disenfranchised both women and men is making in their efforts to prove women are equal. They try to argue that on the basis of we're equal because we can do all the same things men can do. That's the only way we can achieve our value. Mm -hmm. And I don't agree with that approach. I think men and women overlap. And I also think men and women are profoundly different. And I think we've evolved that way for a purpose to cooperate together in raising of the young to each bring our unique strengths to the table. Mm -hmm. And now it's like if a woman wants to stay home and raise her kids, that's this sort of um, like a, like a failure, like a, a, you're not you're not meeting your potential and so what's ended up happening for women is now we have to do everything you have to give birth dash back to work a few months later you have to be pushing 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 aggressively to continue to grow into your career you're still going to do almost everything at home because you're just better at noticing what needs to be done in the house you're more apt to notice minor things in the kids and deal with those before they escalate. So you're very tuned in to the children's needs. And so now you are doing everything. Woohoo! You know, what a victory. And everybody's exhausted and stressed. And and you know, women feel like I'm failing at work and I'm failing at home because it's all too much. So that's my take on it. And this is not a thing where I'm saying, oh, women should work. But I think, um, because I think that's ridiculous, um, but I, I think that this expectation that women are just going to have babies and then fly out the door and become a CEO is, you know, total nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. It doesn't need to denigrate motherhood in order to promote the idea that women can have choice, right? Um, I think... Um, I, I, I had a uh, lecture recently at, at university. It was quite interesting. Um, 
uh, they talked about um, child development and language development. And um, have you heard of the term motherese before? The kind of like the way the way that um, mums speak to infants oh. in, a, in a sort of like hello, how are you? Blah, 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 really sort of up and down kind of intonation and, and and pitch and things to kind of really grab the attention of the child. Well, apparently men tend to speak less with this up and down, but a bit more straight, probably because we're not as tuned in, you know, generalizing if a little bit, not maybe as tuned in to what could grab the kid's attention. But this lecture actually made the point that this fact that you're kind of speaking above the, the infant's in like level already linguistic ability at that point actually helps helps to form I think probably a, a, an expansion in language acquisition and like um it helps the brain to be more plastic apparently I don't know if there's like a father ease or whatever that would be but it sort of sounds like um in a weird way men not being as attuned to the infant's needs somehow has become a benefit just through sort of a, a, a evolutionary thing that's happened for so long but I just remember thinking that's a kind of I guess if you wanted to get sort of psychoanalytic about it that's the sort of super ego versus the the sort of the way that men can maybe represent that sort of other thing that kind of pulls you out of that relationship to your mum as you get older um, and then sort of says this is son or daughter this is your society's expectations on you these are the ways in which I'm going to help help maybe I don't know be a figure for showing you things outside of your relationship with your mother I don't know but yeah that was just a thought yeah I think that's really uh, like it's like a growth pressure it's like mm. here's the next level you can achieve mm. yeah that's interesting they're all generalizations I just want to point out I'm not saying <laughs> I feel funny even just saying these do things your disclaimers like yeah I know, your disclaimers are coming up. Like, i'm not saying that <laughs> yeah no. i can already hear someone's in my sort of voice in my head going are you saying you know people can't parent if they're sort of a you know uh, same sex parents or something i'm like no no that's not what i'm saying <laughs> yeah but i think it's like a, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier david about you know men's sense of space and being sort of their consciousness kind of going out into a larger space and having a sense of that and a command of that, because I think mm. men are called out into the world to achieve and why, because they bring things back to right. the And then you were saying about women noticing a smaller space, probably anyone who is married knows, the wife knows where things are in the house. Yeah. The guys can't find things, the woman knows where they are. The woman knows where things are in the fridge. The guy opens the fridge, he can't find anything. The woman knows exactly where things are. It's just, it just is yeah. true. Well, I mean, not only that, but a guy opens the fridge, can't see it in five seconds and thinks, I could hunt for it, but if I just ask my partner, <laughs> she can tell me in two seconds. So <laughs> it's better for everyone, apart from she gets annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> my... Um... My 24-year-old daughter brought me a, her textbook from her women's studies course recently. She finished school several years ago. She graduated, I think, when she was about 20, but she still had this book um, from a college course that she took. And she she has been sort of, oh, she she had to really deprogram herself after college. So I think that's that's how she would probably describe it too. I don't think I'm putting words in her mouth when I say that. She felt like she was taught through um, her postmodernism, like philosophy, um, women's studies kind of courses that she was taking to really fear, distrust, and dislike men 
And at the same time, fear, distrust, and dislike being a woman because of the vulnerability. So this was really, we, we had a couple of conversations around this and it, it, it sort of harkened back to a psychology of gender course I took when I was in college, which was a little bit better, a little more subtle than what it sounds like she received. But um, I've wondered about all the difficulties we're having culturally around gender at this point at, right now. And it's, it kind of, it's like what you said earlier, David, about how things that we understood previously, like you said, like five minutes ago, we understood certain things and now we, they've all just been thrown away and we're, we're, we're sort of rewriting everything. And again, this is like, this is sort of like a thought jumble because I'm, I'm just like, like word vomiting right now. <laughs> it's just a bunch of thoughts, but I, I remember the first time I heard the phrase gender is a social construct was in a mother's group, an online mom's group, when my younger son, who's now nine, was a baby, or I think he was maybe like a year old. And one of the moms in this group said, gender is a social construct. And all these other moms kind of chimed in to say, yes, that's so true. And they were all talking about how they're raising their children gender neutral and they're not trying to, um, they don't want to impose um, masculine or feminine sort of expectations on their children. And one of the moms who, who was most vocal about this said, and I thought this was so, it was so strange and I wondered why nobody else caught the contradiction. She said she was really disappointed with how masculine her son was, his expressions were. She was disappointed with how, how stereotypically masculine his behavior was, despite all of her efforts to raise him without that. And I thought, isn't that interesting? You do have expectations of your child. You have cross-gender expectations of your right. child. You don't, but how is that any better than having, having a traditional, how is it any better at all? If anything, it maybe is worse, but it's certainly just as bad. I, I, <laughs> Do you know what? It's so funny. I'm just saying this because, like, I'm doing some project, a project at the minute, which is involving these systemic therapy, systemic ideas, they're called, like, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to apply it to different sort of situations to understand things in, in real life that can, can be understood through a systemic lens. Don't worry, I'm not talking about systemic racism necessarily, but, like, there's a one well, there's one idea about it called the double, double bind, mm -hmm. which is, have you heard of that? Where mm -hmm. you kind of, yeah, where you kind of, like, um, like a, a mum can say something to their child like I love you and yet their behaviors seem to be that they turn away it's, it's like where two it's things like you're are, damned if you do and you're damned if yeah, you don't yeah exactly and, and honestly like the, the way that they talk about this this systemic research is they talk about it and they really do say that this is one of the big ingredients to like psychological distress and you know blueprinting maladaptive frameworks if you like inside a person early on in their life and you just think that's what you're that's what you're talking about Leslie these inherent contradictions that seem to be going into some of these ideologies about all sorts of things including gender they are like a double bind because it's it's kind of like yeah you be who you want to be we love you whoever you are go and express yourself but actually we would like you to be um you know not too masculine or maybe even if you're a female be more masculine or you know and it's it's kind of like i think how many kids are just kind of going well what the frig do you want from me you know that woman who's the woman who made that comment about being disappointed in the child, her son having masculine behaviors, 
she is most likely telegraphing to him disappointment and disapproval right. over that are entirely natural and healthy. And kids sense these things, even if yeah. they don't yet know consciously and they don't know how to um, articulate it and language it. But her, her poor kid knows mom disapproves of me and she disapproves yeah. of me. I'm most actively engaged and most actively myself. <laughs> that is the Freudian concept of the castrating mother right there. Right. <laughs> it makes me so sad and it makes yeah. me just want to scoop that child up because and rescue him because that is so that is just so vile but I, I think there's a lot of that now is it it's it, and it's interesting because it's like a lot of modern day feminists they dislike masculinity in mm -hmm. men and they want to decrease it in men but at the same time you know they're really pressed about women entering yeah typically male fields you know there's not enough women in stem there's not enough women in stem i mean who cares and they've they've shown that in more egalitarian societies men tend to go for their for their typical um careers and women tend to go more for careers that um engage around caretaking and people because men are more interested in things as a rule women tend to be more interested in people and the more egalitarian a society is, the more women go for what their natural interests are. Right. So, you know, these, these, um, these, this idea of we want to raise our kids without gender expectations. Okay, but where do you think those expectations come from? They come from a pattern of observations over centuries. Mm -hmm. Because men and women do behave differently. And I'm sure you saw that when you, um, when you went from raising girls to raising boys, how different they are along those developmental stages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are quite a few differences, a lot of similarities also. I mean, all of all of my kids have been really creative, um, good readers, good with language, good with, well, actually my youngest is not that great a reader, but I won't tell him that. But um, they, you know, appreciate beauty. They're wonderful kids. My boys are are sweet and sensitive and loving, but they're also a lot of, they have so much more and different energy. And there's that destructive factor and just, you know, there's, there's, I could sit here and break it down according to stereotypes in a way that anybody would go, okay, yeah, I can see. But, you know, it's also just an anecdote because it's just one family. It's, it's just, just my experience, but I do see differences that I would have when I was young and I was more uh, sort of, I guess I, I sort of had that automatic adoption of a lot of the feminist ways of thinking. I would have said that boys who acted differently within a family were acting that way because their mother was, was catering to them. I mean, I really would have said that I really did know parents of both boys and girls and the, the behavior differences between the boys and girls, I chalked up to parenting more than to genetics as a young mother observing other people's families. And then as a mother who has now had little girls and little boys, I would say, no, I, I do see something that's definitely inborn. I was wrong. I see yeah. temperamental differences in the sexes. Yeah. And, and again, that's not to say that 
there, and I've known little girls who are really much more stereotypically boyish and little boys who are much more stereotypically girlish. It's totally true that we have a lot of variation there. It's just observing a general trend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these, these, these differences you're seeing in your, in your sons and daughters is happening so soon. You're like, ah, it's it's not been enough time for social constructionism to work. It's magic yet. Right. Um, The same thing happened with a friend of mine. She, I think she was very much like she had a girl and she was very much like, you can play with dinosaurs. You can do with these, you can do these things as well. And she was very much about gender neutrality and even picking up toys. She's like, I wanted to get gender neutral toys. And then she had a, she had a son and it was like, he was immediately interested in trucks, immediately interested in moving objects and wheels and things that just go. And she was like, okay, so I'm going to take the pressure off myself a little bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's been our experience also. It's not like we ever set out to sort of, you know, shower our girls with girly things and shower our boys with with boy things. It wasn't like that. It's kind of like we had Legos and we had dinosaurs and we had, you know, the and baby dolls for both. And you just saw who gravitated towards what and you start to help them direct their interests in the way that they already seem directed. My boys are super into trains and um, trains are the big one, but um, also cars and things like that, like things that go. And my girls could not have cared less about that stuff. And I know that's, again, that's just stereotyping, but but that's also been my observation. And the mom that I was telling you about who I was in the online parents group with, we lived fairly close to one another. So we met up in person <clears throat> at least once or twice, but most of my inter, uh, interaction with her, oh no, at least, I guess at least two, two, three times, but most of my interaction with her was online. And I would see what she would post on her Instagram and on Facebook and stuff. And she had, she ended up having two sons and I left social media a couple of years ago. So I totally lost track. But by the time her kids were like, I don't know, seven and five and seven or something, they, she, she was a great seamstress, but these little boys had long hair with pigtails. And I always had, my boys have always had long hair. If they want their hair long, they can have it long. I don't care. In fact, they've had it super long a couple of times. But, but pigtails and she makes dresses for them and puts them in like rainbow leggings and stuff. And they actually wear dresses, actually dresses. And this is the mom who was disappointed with how masculine her kids were. And I thought, what is going on here? This is really an interesting phenomenon that, and, you know, I'm just describing one person, but I wonder how much of this cultural pressure there is to you know make your kids be something different I also had another friend she was a friend of a friend but she claimed that her son was gender fluid and called him they from the time he was like five years old and this was a for all I could see just was a totally normal kid and this was something that was an expectation placed by the mother and so you have to wonder what is what this, you know, when people say there's no, we're not teaching women to hate no. men, I'm like, well, I think that maybe we kind of are. <laughs> Sorry, when you said um, friend of a friend, I looked down at Jen and I thought, not a friend of that Jennifer friend. <laughs> <laughs> not that friend. I could no. see Jen's face. She was just like, oh. <laughs> I just curl into a ball under a piece of furniture right now. <laughs> I, you know, I am really grateful that I grew up when I did, because I think they would have had me off to a gender clinic because even though I always liked pretty clothes, I liked a lot of boy stuff. 
and some stuff that was super girly, I hated. So they would have thought, you know, this is really a boy. I remember when I was around um, six years old, my next door neighbor had one of those baby dolls that's supposed to be like a real doll and you fill it with liquid and it pees on you. Yay. And she gave it to me to hold and it peed on me, which I did not like. So I punched it in the face. <laughs> <laughs> made my neighbor burst into tears <laughs> but I you know and I was obsessed with dinosaurs and I played with I played with trucks um but I am definitely very much a female and it's so interesting to me that these people have they're they're into such rigid gender norms well you know if your child if you're female you know child your daughter is playing with trucks and like sports, then they most likely are, you know, at least non-binary or they're trans. It's ridiculous because there is overlap between the mm. sexes. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I, similarly, I, I've thought that too. I'm so glad that I grew up when I grew up because I went through a phase of really wanting to be a boy. And I, I had got my mom to cut my hair off like my brother's hair. So it was really like boy short and I would wear a ball cap and I would, I loved to catch a catch sight of my shadow because that's when I looked most like a boy was in my shadow. I'd ride my bike and I would see my shadow and I would feel like I looked like a boy. And that made me really happy. And this was a couple of years of, of this. And now if I'd had, if I'd been born now with the, the wrong parent, I can imagine that this would have been glommed onto as, you know, we're gonna, and and I had a similar thought um, a couple of years ago, my older son told me he wished he was a girl. This, he was like, I guess he was like six. His best friend was a girl and her mom uh, was was married to a woman. Some of our best friends, are a lesbian couple with a, with a daughter who was the same age as my son. We sort of lost, contact with them a little bit over COVID, but before that we were just like best buddies and always, you know, the kids would spend the night at each other's houses all the time. And um, the, there was lots of girl power talk, you know, lots of girls can do anything. And I, it was totally, it just seemed very innocuous to me. It seemed very normal and, and good and fine until I heard my son say he wished he was a girl. And I, I asked him, well, why do you feel like that? And he started listing these things that girls could do. And I said, well, do you know that boys can do those things too? And it went away as quickly as it came. I mean, this wasn't, a, this. he didn't even have a phase. He just had a, like a, a night where he brought this up and we talked about it one night. And the next day it was back to not even thinking about being a girl or a boy. But this was also after ha hanging out with the, the friend of a friend was actually their friend who had the non-binary or gender fluid little boy. And so there was a lot of that gender talk going on. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm his mother and not somebody who would be very excited by the opportunity to announce that my kid was now a girl, you know, because it could have, you could have easily taken that and run with it. And instead we just, it just became a non-issue. And I mean, if he had, who knows what would have happened had he pushed that we might've had other conversations or whatever, but it just didn't, it just didn't persist. But I think that it's a normal part of identity formation to have some questions about oneself and to experiment yeah. with different aspects of, of yourself and maybe wish you were more like something or more like a different thing. And I, I just think that's incredibly common and normal and 
we're overly, like you said, we're like trying to stick it into these categories. We're trying to create this rigid structure around these, these things that are by nature, very fluid. Mm. Does that mean that he, you had one conversation with him in the evening or you said something like an evening about how actually boys can do these things as well. And actually boys can do these things. And then that was kind of enough to, to hear mommy sort of say, actually, you know, there's lots of good reasons to be a masculine boy as well or something like that. And that was enough. Was that enough then to sort of go, okay, I don't need to worry too much then or, or I'm not as fixated on this for some reason. Yes, absolutely. It was. And I, cause I think that at that age, it's kind of unusual for kids to focus in on the self so much. They're, they're not at that identity crisis stage yet where they're supposed to be hyper-focused on self and what that's all about. It, I think that there's moments of potential like susceptibility to that. And that mm -hmm. would have been one of those where we could have, you know, if I had wanted to push there, we could have probed and he could have ended up exploring that a lot. But I think what's really healthy for kids who are just exploring the world and each other and themselves is to focus more outwardly and more on what you're doing rather than what you're being in the first right. place. And yeah. so I, I certainly didn't want to encourage neuroticism and rumination and, and over exploration of identity in a six-year-old. So it's kind of like a non-issue, like you just are what you are but what is it that you're wanting to do that you don't feel like you're able to do? And let's let's see if we can help you to do that, you know, whatever that might be. In a weird sort of way, you probably did facilitate more exploratory behavior than a kind of really left-leaning liberal mum might have done because you kind of went, you know, have at it, you know, like try different things on, do think of yourself in different ways. You've got space and time to do that rather than the panic that might overcome a, a left, really far left liberal parent who might go, oh God, Little Timmy has just said he wants to be um, a girl now and I've got to act on it, particularly if I'm going to tell my liberal friends about this because they'll all be on my back encouraging me to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, what you said, Leslie, about like um, kids being interested in, you know, what's around them and what's, what they're doing versus who they are and how basically it's, it's neuroticism when you're really young to be super self-preoccupied. And I was just thinking that I agree with that. And yet what they're doing in a lot of schools, you know, as early as kindergarten, telling kids the doctor's guessing what gender you are when you're born and then having the kids say, um, telling the kids you can choose and then Tell us what your pronouns are. I mean, they're encouraging this kind of navel gazing, but in a very distorted mm -hmm. way in, in young kids. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of like you're the center of the universe and your identity and what you think of yourself is this right. is the center of the universe and yeah. um, kind of breeding narcissism as well right. as all kinds of eroticism into young kids. Absolutely. I agree 100% with what you just said. I think that what they're, by asking kids to examine themselves and to not just, it's not, a, it's not an introspection that you're asking for. It's not like a deep guided introspection. What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to have, you know, uh, the connections that you have and the interests that you have? It's just, who am I and how do I fit into these categories? And what are my category options? And it's, it's this 
It's exactly that. It's exactly narcissism. It's exactly gazing into the mirror and like Narcissus in the, in the, the story, you know, you're just staring at self from such a young age when that's not now. And it's been interesting. Um, We homeschool and I, we have a big group of, of friends because of homeschooling. We have a, a group of there's like five or six core families, but, uh, but several others that join us from time to time. And we're always very open. So we will meet new people and have new people that come in for a few months and then go back out or whatever. But we've had a, a core group of five or six of us that have been homeschooling together for over or about three years. And so my kids have grown, my, my boys have had the opportunity to grow with these kids. And there's, you know, uh, 14 to 17 little kids that are all connecting and growing with each other and having opportunities to see each other once or twice a week for extended periods of time and just explore their relationships with each other. And you get to see these relationships form outside of a school setting, you know, and it's so different. And you watch how they organically explore their connections and their, they create um, friend groups. They're, none of them are cliquish though. There's no clicks. There's no in-group, out-group where you don't get to play with us or anything like that. It's like having 14 to 17 buddies that you could, you could meet up with any of them and be friends with any of them. But just watching how that has worked versus having raised kids who went to school and watching how they interact with each other and think of themselves, it's so very different. And I wish we did more child development research on homeschool families. Right. Because one of the things I noticed when I studied child development in graduate school was how much the research is based on what you're doing at what grade, based on your school cohort. And what your your relationship to your teachers is like and what your relationship to um you know be, being in an age uh matched cohort what mm-hmm. that's like so i don't know that that didn't really that like kind of i'm all about word salad today so <laughs> just having all these thoughts that's really interesting though to think about development neurodevelopmental or social development mm-hmm. milestones in kids who are homeschooled that's really interesting and, i was just thinking oh go on oh no david go ahead well i wasn't no if you've got something else to say about it i was going to just sort of bring it back to thinking masculine uh, feminine, but. oh yes i was I'll, I'll say it and then maybe it'll uh, join in with what you were going to say um the the boys and girls in this group the masculine feminine in the group so there's about probably half and half ish mm-hmm. and over the years it's interesting because at first the boys and girls like my son's best friend for a while was one of the little girls and they were thick as thieves and they would just run around together and they couldn't wait to see each other that was his best friend and we've watched as these kids have kind of split off there's still a lot of overlap the girls and boys play with each other but the boys and girls definitely have their own interests and their different activities the boys are running through the forest and building forts and the girls want to grab a, a blanket and get out all their different dolls and all their creative stuff and play with that in the sun on the blanket. And it's, and it's really, it's so funny. We'll, as moms, we sit around and just kind of observe this and, and how without being guided or pushed, they've been allowed to find their own expression mm-hmm. and they tend to go that way. Although it's not uncommon for there to be a boy playing with the girls or vice versa, a girl playing with the boys. And like I said, they have games where there's total overlap, but it's interesting to observe. It's almost as if true egalitarianism is about freedom of choice rather than yeah, freedom of outcomes. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say about the whole masculine feminine thing, thinking about the narcissism of self-ID and the fact that 
uh, kids growing up, if they can only, if they only think about themselves and their relationship to, I guess it's like an analytical again, it's about the relationship to their mum and how, like someone who is stuck in this sense of which they are the, their universe, they don't want to share toys. They want, they cry when they get, don't get things their way. Like you ask someone, you're talking about someone who might be stuck in a developmental sense. I'm not saying they actually are two years old, but in some ways it's reminiscent of a two, three-year-old. And um, it just made me think about bringing it back to the masculine thinking, well, maybe it's the masculine presence a little bit that brings people out of that and says, no, you, you identity isn't, just about you it's something you negotiate with the world around you it's something that you have to understand is that you fit fit within a society a community and your identity is shape shapeable by those like um forces as well not just narcissists staring into the puddle and thinking oh i want to be this way <laughs> yeah that's really interesting i and jennifer i know you you have to go because you have your group um, mm. I want to, I had one thought as you were talking, David, and I, I'll say this and it probably will be controversial, but um, <laughs> I'll say, <laughs> um, I think that when I was a kid anyway, one of the best things a girl could be would be to be a tomboy. That was like a, a real badge of honor if you could be a tomboy. I wasn't a tomboy. I wanted to be a boy, but I wasn't a tomboy. I wasn't nearly athletic enough to be considered a tomboy. Um, but being a tomboy was a good thing. And I wonder if some of the, the I wonder if there's a, a resentment against men from girls and women, boy against boys and men for being something that we almost wish we could be at times. And I, I wonder how, and I know that's a controversial thing to say, probably piss some people off, but <laughs> I wonder if that's an element. I mean, just this, because there is a lot of burden in being a woman. Mm. There's a lot of, of encumbrance that comes with being a woman. There's vulnerability oh, yeah. and pain and responsibility. And like, I mean, my life is, is that right now. I, I still homeschool my kids. My husband left me and I have the job, the kids, the everything, mm -hmm. and it's all, you know, it's all in one and, and, you know, he's off doing whatever he wants. And, you know, that's just a weird personal aside, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of burden that comes with being a woman. And yeah. there's a lot, I wonder how much of this anti-masculine stuff is this, is a deep resentment for the freedom that we perceive. Right. And I, and I don't think that it's just freedom though, because I mean, if you look at the cultural responsibilities that fall on men, it's the hardest jobs. It's the most dangerous jobs. I mean, it's too simple to say that they have freedom, but they have some freedoms that women don't have. And so I wonder about that. Mm. That's really interesting. What do you reckon, Jen? I'm, I'm sorry, my mind's blown and I'm like now out in the cosmos from the stars. <laughs> <laughs> and you that, I just realized, I think that I have tried to deal with that by mm. keeping myself like I've been straddling the fence, mm. you know, like I'm kind of, you know, I, I didn't um, have my own kids. I'm lucky to have stepkids, but I, I feel like I've kind of tried to be a bit of both masculine and feminine and not get too stuck in one or the other, probably because I don't want an overload of what comes with either. 
Yeah. So I think that was my solution to, because either being a man or a woman comes with its own unique set of problems. So I think I've tried tried to to choose androgyny. I've tried to select the best from both, you know, like (laughs) I like the fashion, (laughs) but I also like a lot of independence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. Do you know, I, I listened to Lionel Shriver on uh, an unheard um, live sort of discussion. And I was just thinking that's a re- Lionel Shriver seems like it would be a really good example of like a, a woman who has a lot of masculine energy about her. She's very direct or she's very straight talking. She's sort of like, she can be quite glib sometimes, but sometimes it's part of her sense of humor, dry sense of humor. I don't know. It just, I don't even know how to put it into words, but I'm just like, yeah, she's got a kind of masculine sensibility about her. Well, like um, Camille Puglia as well. She seems to have a kind of masculine kind of, you know, sense to her. I'm, I'm sensitive of the time for Jennifer. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to run. I'm going to go do group. Thank you. Oh yeah. yeah. Today. Really interesting. I think, I feel like we need to have more conversations about this because it is such a broad topic. It's really interesting. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm, it's kind of a, it's, it is such a broad topic and it seems like this was sort of a sloppy wade in, but it felt like, it feels big. It feels like we could really explore this quite a bit. And, you know, thank you for being willing to kind of jump in and dissect it. Absolutely. It's been fun. All right, guys, I'll see you soon. All right. Bye, Jennifer. All right. Well, David, um, Thank you also. It's <laughs> a good you. chat. <laughs> and thank you to everybody who joined us in the chat. Um, we didn't get to read those out loud today, but I'll go by, I'll go through them and, and take a look at them. And yeah, feel free to leave comments and let us know what you think about our interesting conversation. And if you have things to add or other things you want us to talk about in the future, we'd, we'd love that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry we weren't able to check in with the live comments, guys, but. Please put suggestions down and we'll maybe look at those topics another time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.